0: Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex from BTN, and we are back after a couple weeks off the grid here on the Take 10 Podcast. Hope everyone's still doing well, hanging in there. And I gotta say it's helped just knowing there's some sports on the calendar to look forward to. Not games, obviously, quite yet, but the Last Dance documentary that everyone's talking about, about the Chicago Bulls, and the NFL Draft coming up this weekend, those have kind of been... Uh, Many lights at the end of the tunnel for me personally, so maybe if your uh, sports viewing habits are similar, same applies to you, Uh, but we'll continue to to drop these podcasts every so often to give you a place to go and and consume some new content, and this week we have a, a guest that's never been on the Take 10 podcast, but is still probably very familiar to a lot of fans listening, especially if you are a Michigan State Spartan fan, and the guest this week is Matt McQuaid. Matt was a key player on Michigan State for uh, through, through 2019 for four years and had a really nice career with the Spartans before playing professionally this past year in Germany. And we started off our conversation by talking about how he had to come home uh, because of the, the pandemic and how he's adjusted to life uh, beyond college. And then we talked a little bit about Michigan State basketball as well. And Matt's... Discussion was actually part of a, a larger video series that we're doing at BTN where we get athletes and people connected to Big Ten sports on Zoom calls and get them together to rewatch some of their playing days, some key moments, some of their favorite games. And uh, if you've seen it at all on our BTN platforms, that's called the uh, Big Ten Video Recall Series. Mentioned it, I think, last episode when we had Ben Brust on. He did one with his former Wisconsin teammates. And after we uh, recorded the podcast here with Matt McQuaid, he called in Kenny Goins on Zoom, who's also been on the podcast before, so that's why we didn't get Kenny on this episode. But Kenny and uh, Matt relived a huge win over Michigan from the 2019 Big Ten Tournament Championship. That was a memorable game. And then they also watched some clips from their win over Duke in the Elite Eight in 2019. And that was actually one of my favorite games to watch since since getting to btn one of my favorite uh big 10 basketball games that i've seen and and kenny and matt both had some huge moments so i uh, don't want to get too off track and talk about that video but that will be coming out soon on youtube and, and btn's social media channels so keep an eye out for matt McQuaid and kenny but for right now we have matt McQuaid coming up with a 10 to 15 minute interview here on the show where uh We have a little fun, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a Take 10 podcast discussion with Matt McQuaid, and it starts right now. All right, very pleased to be joined by former Spartan Matt McQuaid. Follow him on Twitter at MattBlast3. Matt, how's it going, man? Looks like you're outside, looks warm on the Zoom call right now. So uh, what have you been up to? How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm just uh, enjoying my family and this uh, Texas weather right now. I know everybody's locked in their houses and quarantining, but uh, just enjoying my time in Texas.
0: So you're down in Texas, uh, down from where uh, your roots are and where you grew up. What have you been up to since leaving Michigan State, first of all? Take us through the last calendar year and and your path to, unfortunately, being quarantined back home now.
1: Yeah, so uh, my rookie year was in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, for the Frankfurt Skyliners. It was an up and down year. yeah, and I mean, didn't even get to finish out the season and uh, ended up coming home like mid-March and uh, yeah, just uh, quarantined like the rest of the world now. It's an unexpected scenario, but uh, just got to do what you got to do.
0: So how did you end up in Germany? What was kind of the connection that led you there? And then how did you enjoy your time overseas?
1: Uh, they just uh, watched some film on me and uh, contacted my agent. My agent uh, and me talked, and we thought it was one of the best opportunities that we that we found. So we took advantage of it. It's in the uh, BBL, which is the domestic German league, and it's a uh, it's really physical league, good league, kind of like uh, the college game. I I would say. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a good first year, and um, I'm glad I was over there
0: how was the language barrier the culture shift was there any big adjustment just getting your feet wet over there
1: yeah frankfurt is uh it's actually pretty americanized so it wasn't bad uh most people do speak english especially like uh my like the younger generations uh, cuz they have to like learn it in school which uh which was good and easy for me so it was uh, it was a smooth transition and uh it was good
0: in america the whole sports world kind of came to a halt at once, um, kind of around the tip off of that Big Ten tournament that Wednesday night when Ruby Gobert got tested positive for uh, COVID-19 and, and then the tournaments all kind of started canceling all at once. Um, how did the season end over in Germany? Was it kind of a gradual thing since the virus was in Europe first or did it uh, all happen at once like it did in America?
1: Yeah, so um we were we were practicing like uh it was like the day after they declared it was a pandemic. And I think we were just like we were just shooting and stuff and then uh we were waiting for the league to make a decision and uh they, they just um they ended up saying it's um um suspended so they didn't cancel it. So uh it's suspended and you can't use the gyms and everything and it was shut down kinda like in America. And then uh, we were just a couple of my American teammates were like, well, if it's going to be suspended for a long time, we were like, can we go home and like trying to figure all that out. Just kind of had to wait it out and wait to see what the league was going to say. So we were, we were just kind of waiting it out, I guess.
0: All right. So I want to talk about your Michigan state days um, before we let you go for sure. And you know, when I do these interviews, I always kind of go to the player bios first on the team websites and I love the Michigan State bios. They're always very detailed. I want to know who who writes these. I if I can get to the bottom of it, because yours said, uh, "Long, lean shooting guard, dedicated gym rat, constantly working on his game." Like that's just a great, a great bio to have. So first of all, do you know who wrote that about you? Like, did you do it? Was it like a Wikipedia thing? Uh, give me the background if you if you know it.
1: I don't remember. I'm sure um, one of our media guys, or I I don't know or they a coach. Said, I don't know
0: the The Jim Rat title uh, gets thrown around uh, thrown around a lot. I feel like, and especially in college basketball. Uh, tell me, how did a how did a Texas kid end up at Michigan State?
1: Yeah, so uh, I mean, I was originally committed to SMU my junior going into my junior year of high school, and uh, um, I was kind of just felt like I rushed it and wanted to take a step back, and ended up decommitting, and then went to the LeBron James Skills Academy, and um, that's when Coach Izzo first saw me. And uh, he contacted me after that. And my dad, uh, my dad grew up in Midland, Michigan. Um, so uh, we had kind of had Michigan roots there. And we would go up in the summer. And I uh, ended up playing open gym with uh, like guys like Valentine, Costello, and, um, in the summer. And then I ended up taking my official in the fall and ended up committing like one or two weeks later. So it all kind of worked out.
0: Yeah, and you introduced yourself pretty quickly to – Michigan State basketball fans, just on the court. Um, this was your first or second game. I think it was your second game. hit a couple big threes to help beat top five Kansas team back in 2015, the Champions Classic. Was that one of those things where it's just like a sink or swim, or were you super nervous out there and, and uh, just had some shots happen to go down?
1: Yeah, I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Um, if you remember in the game, like, my first – I had, like, a layup that was pretty open, and I ended up just blowing it and – hit it straight off the backboard, no rim or anything. But uh, uh, Valentine, you know, he he was giving me confidence. On that one pump fake three, he goes, shoot it. And I just pump fake, took one dribble and let it go. And then, you know, my nerves kind of calmed down too when I hit that first three in the first half. I was like, all right, I'm good now. But uh, yeah, it was a crazy experience, you know. And uh, a lot of people like remember me and like hitting that three, but Valentine had a triple double. Like that was the, I thought that was like the craziest thing, man against in the champions classic get a triple double so that was a that was a crazy game and that was a good one for me too
0: yeah nobody cares about this but I I played basketball in high school kind of like a scrub version of you you know uh two guard shooter and I swear like in a slump or when you're uncomfortable a layup is the hardest thing like I totally feel you on on blowing a layup and just like shanking it off the glass like that because I definitely did that uh, yeah, on, on a much smaller stage, uh, you mentioned, you know, some of the the guys you played with like Valentine and go through your career through 2019, you know, Cassius Winston, Jaron Jackson, Miles Burgess. Um, did those guys, especially, you know, some of the NBA guys ever do stuff in practice or games? And then you mentioned the triple double from Valentine, but like were you ever just watching these guys and going, wow, like it's crazy that uh, I'm on the court with these dudes doing 360s or, or whatever they're doing with their NBA talent.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I look back, I do. But, like, at the time, you know, you just – you know, everybody – it's just, like, such a close family, you know. You're just used to it. And, like, you're just used to playing with those guys and every day. And uh, you just – we were all competitors, and we all were just trying to get better, and we were all working together. And, I mean, we all appreciate each other's games. But, yeah, when you look back, I'm just like – like, Bridges had some crazy dunks. Jaron Jackson, you think about his length. Deontay Davis, Valentine's IQ shooting ability you know like uh, I mean that was that was great to be a part of and like play with those guys you know you really really miss it
0: yeah I kind of asked that because I talked to Jaron at the NBA All-Star Weekend here in Chicago and it was right after Bridges had uh, won the MVP of the Rising Stars game and Jaron was like that's not even close to the craziest stuff he's done or I've seen him do because he was just pulling off crazy stuff in, in practice those guys are, like especially Jaron. He just cracks me up. I imagine, you know, from my limited interaction with him, that wasn't like a coincidence. How was his uh, demeanor and personality in the one year you guys were on the court together and and sharing uh, hotels, buses, all that?
1: Yeah, I loved Jaren. You know, he came in and he was um, open-minded, had a great personality, uh, great great basketball player, good length, and uh, always joking. But, I mean, when he got on the court, he was serious. Always wanted to win. You know, I love playing with him. He's a very, really good competitor. And, I mean, it's showing in the NBA what he's doing.
0: So, last year, uh, I guess, you know, not technically last year now. 2019 was your senior year. How special was it? It's kind of a cliche question. But how special was it just to make Final Four as a senior go out like that? Even though, you know, you guys didn't uh, reach your ultimate goal. But getting that experience, going to Minneapolis – and getting to to lead that team really helped lead that team to a final four are you're, you're a big contributor uh, especially in the postseason.
1: Yeah, it was uh it was a really big deal just uh going through what we were going through at the time with uh you know losing Lankford mid season. We just had a lot of different injuries. I know they had a, they went through a lot more this year but uh we went through quite a bit that year too and um you know to make that run was big especially you know uh for the seniors you know I mean we felt that pressure of uh you know making it to the final four for is, you know because he's had like every class except one you know you don't want to be we wanted to make it and not and be with in that uh, fraternity of final fours with those guys too so to pull that off was good and I mean of course we wanted to win the championship you know that was the main goal since the beginning of the year but you know we accomplished a lot and won a lot of championships that year so it was a it was a really good year.
0: All right. So shifting away from basketball before we wrap up, Matt, I was going through your Twitter timeline and you don't tweet that much, but I I noticed, um, I think it was during the beginning of the quarantine days, there was one of those Twitter questions and it asked, what movie do you wish you could see again for the first time? You tweeted Talladega Nights, obviously a classic, Will Ferrell. Uh, Why'd you pick that one?
1: I love Will Ferrell movies. Um, The funny story about that movie, um, my grandparents, they took me and my cousin to it and they didn't know how bad it was at the time. And uh, we were both pretty young. So they they took us to the movie cause they were like, oh, Will Ferrell can't be that bad. And they they thought it, um, we came out that movie and we thought it was the coolest thing. Like, it was just funny, like the words and like they they were using and the quotes and stuff. We were just, we've been quoting that movie like all our lives now. It's It was just a, it's a great memory of my life.
0: That's hilarious. Did your, your grandparents say anything afterward, like regretting that they took you or was there any conversation in the car? What happened?
1: Yeah, they were, uh, they were like, we didn't know it was that bad. We were all laughing about it. My parents were like, we can't believe you guys took them to that movie. And uh, we always give them crap about it.
0: That's good stuff. Uh, last question before we wrap up. I noticed you also are, are signed up to do cameos, you know, if, if people want to log onto the cameo app and, and uh, request a cameo from Matt McQuaid you're on there so who would you uh I'm gonna flip it if you could get a cameo from a celebrity who would you get a cameo from if you know money was no object and it didn't cost anything
1: man um probably Michael Jordan just from watching the last dance last night and I mean he's always been the goat but I mean, this documentary about him is, like, really cool, and he's just the hottest topic right now, I feel like.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun watching. I can't wait for the rest of the uh, eight episodes, especially as a Bulls fan. Like, it made me proud to be a Bulls fan for the first time in a, in a while. Uh, and then one more cameo question. Uh, did you ever get any weird requests, like a, a, an unusual message to deliver from a fan uh, on the app?
1: Um, not really. Sometimes they'll, they'll ask me to just like rip Michigan or stuff like that. And that's usually, I'm just, you know, uh, that, and I mean, nothing too weird. Oh yeah. Some fantasy football leagues. Yeah. They, 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 they want me to say some interesting things. Um, but I mean, it's all fun.
0: That's funny. That's good stuff, Matt. Uh, I'm sure you'll be ripping Michigan maybe a little bit. Cause we're about to do this, this recording of watching, um, one of your best games against Michigan. So uh, fans out there, stay tuned for that. But I'll let you go on the podcast right now. Appreciate you taking some time and catching up. And we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right, man. See you.
0: All right. Thanks once again to Matt for joining me. Appreciate him taking some time. And I appreciate him giving uh, even more time to us for the aforementioned video recall Zoom chat that we have with him and Kenny Goins, definitely check that out on BTN's social media channels and YouTube page. It should be dropping very soon, um, most likely the end of this week. All right, before we uh, take off here, we have another segment coming up. You guys know, if you've listened to the show before, you likely know Harold Shelton, BTN's in-house researcher. Harold has actually uh, plenty to talk about, even though sports are not going on right now with the NFL draft. Coming up this weekend, we talked about some Big Ten prospects that might go and, and what we're looking out for ahead of the draft. Um, and then, as we've started to do with Harold since sports have come to a halt, we tried to think outside the box a little bit, talk some Big Ten topics that are a little bit away from present day or from the playing field. And this week, we talk about which Big Ten restaurants are our favorite across uh, each Big Ten campus, because we have both of us been to all 14 campuses, so we have some perspective. And it's one thing that I've found just like monitoring social media and running these accounts for a few years now is every Big Ten fan loves, loves, loves talking about their favorite restaurants, both on their favorite campuses and ones that they've traveled to in their, in their uh, trips around the conference over the years. So that's a lot of fun with H. We also talk uh, Last Dance a little bit. And we'll discuss uh, some of the key departures and transfers that we've heard about in the last couple weeks since we last talked with Harold. So he's coming right up. It's the BTN Take 10 podcast discussion with our researcher, Harold Shelton. It starts right now. All right. We're back with Harold Shelton, BTN stat guy for the stat head segment. H, it's been a couple weeks. How have you been holding up? How you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm doing all right. You know, I would love if the weather would stay consistent because I've been at least trying to, you know, get outside, run and around the neighborhood, stuff like that to kind of keep me sane. But, you know, we had snow last Friday and then it was, you know, 60 on Monday. So we're kind of all over the place, but we're hanging in there.
0: Yeah, it's why I don't like spring really that much as a season. Um especially in Chicago, like you said, the inconsistency is what gets me. Like, I can handle winter if it's just, like, the same temps or that range every day. Um, But, you know, when we start fluctuating 30, 40-degree swings, that's when I start getting uncomfortable and I start, you know, like, sweating through my layers out there.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have to look at the weather every morning. I usually try to do it, like, during the week, but it changes so much. Like, if I'm going to run, like, I don't want to be, you know – I like I'm wearing a rubber suit out there. So <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, some days I'm super layered. Other days I just have on a long sleeve tee and, you know, Chicago for you, especially in the spring, like you say, is crazy.
0: Absolutely. Well, I don't know about you. I, I feel like kind of fallen into a groove here working from home. You know, it still seems weird every day. But with things being on TV that we're all kind of sharing – uh, as sports fans, those experiences, it, it's kind of provided a little bit of an escape for me. So th- this week has been nice in particular with the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance coming out, and the NFL Draft coming up um, this weekend. So that's a welcome distraction for sure. And we can talk about those uh, topics in just a little bit. But before we even get to that, I want to catch up on what we've missed since we talked last. Like I said, it was about a, two weeks ago, I think, that we, um, we last yeah, chatted. And- three or so. Yeah, and so some uh, some things have happened on the basketball front, especially just with, um, you know, declarations for the draft and transfers, and, and that season still not slowing down. So what's jumped out to you over the last uh, couple of weeks since we talked on the basketball front?
2: Um, I'd say on the basketball side, it seems like uh, Michigan kind of took some lumps here. Um, Isaiah Livers declared for the draft, obviously, uh still has a chance to come back. And that wasn't viewed as a big deal because they had Isaiah Ty waiting in the wings as a commit. And they were in on Joshua Christopher, who most people thought they were in the lead for five-star guard out of Cali. And he surprises everybody by going to Arizona state and Ty winds up decommitting uh, and doing, going to the G league. And so You have those two guys who were, you know, four or five star talents that you thought you were going to get, you didn't get. And then you lose probably your second best player in Isaiah Livers. So I feel like Michigan right now, you know, kind of took some lumps and they need to figure out what they're going to look like. And, you know, David DeJulius also transferred, wound up going to Cincinnati. Uh, So their, their roster seems to be a little bit in flux right now.
0: Yeah, Michigan and Ohio State, two teams that were solid last year. I'm throwing the Buckeyes in there because they're another team that just kind of unexpectedly has has hit some adversity with Carton leaving, uh, going to Marquette. I think that was announced since we we last chatted. Luther Muhammad as well, um, looking to transfer. So those are a couple of solid teams that might look a little different next year. Uh, luckily, at least they both seem to have good coaches in charge that can uh, recruit well and especially in Holtman's case, proven to be a X's and O's guy as well. Uh, looking down the the list of topics here, and this really factors in with the Michigan news, like we mentioned, the G league select path that's been, um, you know, presented to these prospects in the last couple of weeks. What are your thoughts on this new pathway for potential high school students to leave and and bypass college and, or entirely? And, what do you think the impacts it might have on college basketball uh, going forward? Uh,
2: I, I think the impact will be minimal. I mean, it, it's nice that players have another path in terms of finding a way to, to make some money. Um, I'm all for, you know, the player being able to get, you know, whatever they need to get. But I still don't think it's going to matter too much for college basketball in general. Um, You know, before this G League, it was guys going to Europe. We thought, you know, once Brandon Jennings went over there that a lot of other people would do it. You know, Terrence Ferguson was another one. But we see that hasn't happened as much. Um, You know, I'd be surprised if, you know, G League will probably still get some prospects. But I feel like college basketball as a whole will still be fine. It won't be a huge threat. Um, but it's good that players, if they just don't want to go to college, have another option where they don't have to go thousands of miles away from home.
0: Yeah, number one prospect, Jalen Green, out of Prolific Prep in California, kind of blew the top off this whole thing when the details of his path were, were laid out. It was revealed that he accepted this half a million dollar contract with opportunities for endorsements to join the G League for a year and kind of play in the select team that – wouldn't necessarily play a G league schedule, but would get special preparation alongside other prospects. And I'm totally in agreement with what you said. I, I think it's great that uh, these young athletes have, you know, options on the table, right. They can go to college and, and go kind of the traditional route or depending on their situations uh, for, you know, whatever reason, this was more appealing to Jalen green, but I always find it interesting though, the, the people, especially on social media or the talking heads, maybe on, um, some of the networks that are featuring the debate shows always want to try and dunk on college basketball and use it as another excuse to, to criticize the sport. I think we all know that the quality of basketball isn't as good as the NBA. Like that's not why college basketball fans love the sport. You know, they love their schools. They get invested in the storylines of multi-year players and people who, you know, want to kind of dance on this imaginary grave of college basketball. They, they, they act like, I guess what, what always stands out to me is they act like the period of players bypassing college entirely from 96 to 2005 or six or whenever it was didn't happen. Like we had Kobe and and KG, Dwight Howard, LeBron, all those guys go straight to the league. And then a bunch of other guys that weren't even close to as good as them. And the college game was just fine. I mean, people like Carmelo decided to go to Syracuse and and go the college route and be a one and done, even when he could have gone straight to the league, Dwayne Wade as well. So I just find it interesting when that period is conveniently glossed over. I guess the difference this time would be this G League um, path will be like, kind of a safety net, right, for for uh, players if they don't quite make it to the league, like a Sebastian Telfair or someone like that.
2: Right. And I guess the the thing to keep in mind with this, too, is that, uh, at least with the select, it's it's offered to elite players who are eligible for the G League but not yet for the draft. So it's not one of those things where you can go spend a year or two in college and then go to this G League select. It's either one or the other when you come uh, basically out of high school. Right. And so, you know, good for them. You know, you get $125,000 salary for five months. Um, Hopefully you could parlay that into something great in the NBA if you are good enough. Um, But I think, at least for me, the G League – if you're playing in front of you know mostly empty arenas, if you're you know traveling by bus you know through rur- rural areas all across the country, um, I mean you are getting you are getting paid, but I mean you're not getting you know the the free room and board, you're not flying charter, you're not playing in front of twenty thousand people, you don't have you know that energy that you're getting you know from just being in college. So it's it's give and take. Again, some people want nothing to do with college, just want a ball, and just get money, go for it. But something to be said for, you know, if you're truly a star, want to build a brand. If you go to one of these big-name schools like Zion Williamson did, wound up, I mean, his value went through the roof. I mean, people forget he wasn't even the number one prospect in his class, let alone his own team, and wound up being the number one pick and basically because of, you know, the college basketball.
0: John Morant, too. I mean, he yep. was only good enough to get interest from Murray State and did plays himself into the number two pick and is now a NBA star. So, like you said, everyone's path is different. Uh, well said there. Um, I want to shift sports real quick before we get into some of our more fun general conversation that we got planned later. Um, because the NFL draft is coming up starting today. If you're listening to this the day, the episode drops on Thursday. And it's going to be a, an event unlike we've really seen. Um, it's going to be all virtual as far as I know. Obviously, uh, we're missing out on the event in Vegas that would have been a lot of fun, but times dictate this unprecedented platform and um, way way they're executing the draft. So it be interesting to see. Uh, first of all, I think the, the technical difficulties will, <laughs> will be uh, the main storyline if, if any of those pop up. But beyond that... What are you looking for? I don't want to turn this into a draft preview, but just off, of like, kind of the main storylines, what are you looking for on uh, the Big Ten side of things with these next three days of the draft coming up here?
2: Uh, I mean, you know, Ohio State just continuing, you know, to lead the way in the Big Ten in terms of the number of prospects, the number of first-round prospects. I mean, you know, obviously Chase Young and Okuda are both going to top five. Um,
1: yep. It feels like
2: they're kind of become D-line U and D-B-U here through this Urban Meyer era. And so they're just putting more guys in. Um, Yeah. So I'm mostly just curious to see, especially as a Lions fan to see uh, if the Lions can get one of those two guys. Um, You know, I, I doubt Chase will be around, but maybe if there's a trade for, you know, two or something like that, that, you know, he winds up falling to three, but, Yeah, for the most part, I'm just curious to see, you know, where the Buckeyes go. I mean, this has kind of been their their thing ever since Urban got there. They've been the class of the league, and I fully expect that to continue through this draft.
0: Yeah, I remember a couple years ago coming off Michigan's really nice season. I think they had, like, I can't remember how many it was in the first round. It was a record. Like, they had 10 guys drafted or something like that, 10 or 11 guys. And, uh, like you said, Ohio State's now kind of supplanted them. But Michigan still has, I think, seven or eight guys projected to go this year. So just a little churning out NFL talent. Another uh, school I'm keeping an eye on is Minnesota. You know, they, they seem like they're now consistently putting guys in the NFL uh, with at least four projected guys getting drafted this year. Antoine Winfield is the guy I'm interested to see where he lands just with his, his dad's pedigree and, and type of playmaker he was in college. I think he'll be a value for some franchise. And then beyond that, I kind of want to see how these prolific running backs from the Big Ten fair, like your J.K. Dobbins and your Jonathan Taylor guys, That really looked like they had NFL talent kind of from day one, you know, finally getting to the league. And, uh, you know, they're not quite at the level that Saquon Barkley was hype-wise coming out of college and then probably talent-wise as well, but they're right there as far as uh, elite college running backs go. So I'm curious to see which one of those two guys or both of them can have a you know, immediate impact in the NFL, especially because my fantasy team needs some running backs right now.
2: Yeah, I'm very curious to see about Jonathan Taylor. Again, uh, he's a guy that we follow, you know, and he was dominant as soon as he stepped on campus all three years. Um, You know, the fact that we kind of got the sneak preview on the bus tour his freshman year, kind of showed how special he was going to be when, you know, kind of before everybody else found out. And so being able to kind of follow his story, um, the fact that he's been, you know, one of the most humble kids I've ever met, um, especially with that kind of stature, I'm really, really rooting for him. Uh, I was, I saw a, a draft scout who basically compared him to Sean Alexander, the uh, former Seahawk running back out of Alabama. If he has a career like that, then I think, uh, I think that would be great, and I'm certainly rooting for something like that, or maybe even better.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that bus tour debut we saw from Jonathan Taylor when we saw their August practice and during Taylor's freshman year, and he just like dominated that scrimmage uh, as a Friday night. So it's kind of full circle for me for the first time, you know, you see somebody break out. I think that was my first bus tour and then eventually him dominate big 10 and, and get ready to go to the NFL. And then it's funny last summer when we were at Wisconsin going into JT's uh, junior year, I was doing like a digital shoot with, with Taylor and was with him solo for like 10 minutes because our camera person had to grab their equipment or something like that. So I kind of had to make small talk for a while with him. And we were just talking about what the NFL prospects are like for running backs. And I got, had to catch myself because I was kind of saying like, yeah, man, you know, it's a it's a tough league right now for running backs. You know, you got guys with uh, that are in backfields, three, four deep. It's it just guys have a short shelf life and then I had to catch myself remember I'm like talking to a NFL hopeful running back right here so I was like but you know you're like on that Saquon level you don't have to worry about that <laughs> so right
2: you to clean oh, it you know,
0: up yeah I didn't want to I didn't want to insult him to his face or anything like that and I really do believe that he could be on that elite level of, of of a feature back uh J.K. Dobbins as well would probably fall in that category but um before we like I said I don't want to turn this into a too deep of an NFL draft discussion but since it is very topical I wanted to Chat a little bit about it, and before we wrap it up, I want to pick your brain and see if you have any sleepers on the board or in the Big Ten guys you wouldn't be surprised like that we've seen show out in their careers, but might be low on uh, draft boards, but could be a, a steal or a value pick for some teams.
2: I honestly believe that Kenny Willikers could be a really, really good value for somebody. Um, I think it'd have to be probably as a as a three-four rush end. I think he would be great coming off the edge. He's a guy with an endless motor. Um, The fact that, and again, another great story, you know, walk on, turned himself into defensive lineman of the year in 2018. And, you know, another all Big Ten performance this past year. You know, the fact that you could see a guy, you know, go from that to, you know, potentially making millions of dollars would be be an awesome thing and I think whoever winds up drafting him, they'll never have to worry about motor he's got a non-stop motor and I think he would certainly help teams that are trying to rush the passer which every team needs in the NFL I know you saw him post that workout reel right where he was yeah that was crazy right splits he's and... not a, he, he's not agile
0: right right he was doing not like, an athlete yeah that was definitely a subtweet to whatever uh, scouts or giraffes or uh, mock drafts had him low because he was Doing, like I said, the splits, cartwheels, like flips. It was Jumping
2: off walls and stuff. It was great. Yeah, he
0: did the whole uh, ninja thing where you run up the wall and flip. Yeah. Um, As far as a sleeper on my end, I think I've been high on Tyler Johnson since his freshman year. I mean, he dominated in Minnesota. At times did it without a real secure quarterback situation there. Kind of the hometown hero uh, in Minneapolis. Stayed home. And, you know, although he's not the biggest guy – His hands are really, really good. He's been, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm like a a scout or an expert or anything, but he kind of has those intangibles and just a gamer in the way that, you know, some guys get to the NFL and they they flame out and and never can keep up the speed of the game. And I don't think he falls in that category. I'm interested
2: to see where he goes. Yeah, same. I mean, it's a guy, you know, he had 12 touchdowns in 2018. He had 13 his past year. Uh, 86 catches on top of that. And so, you know, he was a guy that you wonder, you know, does does he have the speed, all this kind of stuff? Did you watch the bowl game? He completely torched Auburn and the SEC speed there. So I feel like, you know, the fact that he can go to a team and, and be a solid number two guy, you know, we saw when he had Rashad Bateman next to him you know, how, you know, that one, a one B combo was lethal in the big 10. Obviously he'll be, you know, once he gets drafted, he'll be going to a team and he doesn't have to be the guy right away. He can just kind of step in and be a nice possession guy who could potentially take the top off. I think that's a really good pick on your part.
0: And if you were going to talk about big 10 prospects a year ago, um, and going high in the draft, maybe even like top 10, I think, one guy that we thought was going to go that high was, was Epinesa from Iowa. Uh, but it turns out his teammate, Tristan Wirfs, is probably the guy that'll, that'll um, go in the top 10 behind guys like Okuda and Chase Young. It's interesting. Same thing kind of happened with Iowa last year when we thought that uh, Fant would be the guy to go higher. But then Hawkinson ended up going, I think, in the top 10 to, to Detroit. That's, uh, that's mm-hmm. your team snagged him there. So um, were you expecting – one, worse to, to end up. I don't know if you've seen any mock drafts and it and, uh, just kind of speaks again to the quality of, of players that, that Iowa turns out every year.
2: Man, these dudes get so many offensive linemen in the league. It's crazy. I mean, as we talked about, we've seen Brandon Scherf get in. We've seen Riley Reef. You know, we've seen, you know, Bulaga, you know, Austin Blythe. You know, a bunch of these guys just continue to get drafted. They're a football factor. They always get you know, O-lineman to go. I feel like Tristan Wirfs would be another first-round tackle. Uh, If if you got a chance to look up Bruce Feldman's uh, Freaks article, it talks about all of, you know, his freakish exploits. He completely blew up the combine. I'd be shocked if he wasn't gone in the first 15 picks or so.
0: All right, sounds good. Well, that was uh, our 2020 NFL Draft talk. We'll – Cap it off there and enjoy watching the next few days. And before we get to what our uh, topic of the show is, as we've kind of gone outside the box the last couple shows with sports being put on pause, I I did want to talk about the the MJ doc, The Last Dance, because we're not really, you know, we couldn't really be a sports podcast or sports show if we didn't talk about it. Everybody is these days.
1: Exactly.
2: It was a whole lot of fun, I'll tell you that.
0: I assume you watch live, right? You get the whole experience watching live and kind of keeping up with all the Twitter shenanigans that were going on and just kind of reveling in a live experience for the first time in a while.
2: Yeah. I feel like that's the best way to do it. Right. Where you can, it basically feels like you're watching with millions of people all in the same room at the same time and reacting accordingly. You know, I always find a lot of joy in that and the NFL draft would be the same way.
0: Yeah. Like on one hand, you know, I kind of wish they just would have dropped all 10 episodes at once on Netflix or whatever, so we could binge it. But I think right now, right. We do. Exactly. We do need this kind of communal experience to all watch something related to the sports universe at the same time. So I think they definitely uh, went, you know, went with the right approach there. And and I think the ratings and the ad revenue will will prove them correct there. Um, So we're coming at this documentary from different angles, right? Like I'm a, I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, but a Bulls fan that's kind of been in hiding the last four or five years because the, the product has has stunk on the court and i'm in that age group that is not really old enough to remember michael jordan's bulls days and it only kind of remembers the aftermath and the rebuild and uh beyond that through kind of the derrick rose years and so on while uh you're obviously a michigan native and like you mentioned earlier a pistons fan so let's just go in chronological order and I'm curious to hear how you're consuming this and and what your kind of vantage point is as basketball fan but not a Chicago Bulls fan.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I was never a Michael Jordan guy. in fact, I can't can't stand, couldn't stand them, couldn't stand those bulls teams um so but I remember a lot of that nineties run, um, but I didn't realize like all of the infighting that was going on. And maybe because I wasn't living in Chicago at the time, I wasn't watching the news and hearing about, you know, all of the Jerry Krauss versus Phil Jackson, Jerry Krauss versus Scottie Pippen stuff. Um, I just knew that, you know, oh, they're struggling a little bit, but, you know, come playoff time, they'll probably win again, you know, that kind of thing. I had no idea it got as bad as it got. So for me as a sports fan who vaguely remembers, like, some of the off-the-court stuff, seeing – so many details of that and just how bad it got was really, really interesting. I had no idea that, you know, Jerry Krause said, you can go 82 and no field, but this is your last year no matter what. Like, who says that?
0: Yeah, it's wild. I didn't really know any of these storylines either, and I think that just is partly due to my age. But also, I think because the way, you know, the Bulls have been such an international – Brand because of Michael Jordan. It's affected the way I, I've been a fan, right? Like, it, it, same thing kind of happened with the Cubs when they won the World Series and then became, again, a, a national, international brand. You feel less close and connected as, on a personal level, even though you're obviously thrilled that they won. And, I, you know, I've never been particularly drawn to Michael Jordan as a, a sports fan and, and basketball fan. Obviously, I appreciated what he did before my, uh, before my time really, and and was glad that he brought those titles to Chicago and recognized his significance. But I think a lot of it has to do with kind of just, you know, him kind of being uh, a recluse almost in, in his retirement and not being really that warm and fuzzy or, or that present. And then also like it, it comes down to his, some of the licensing deals he worked out with the NBA kind of marketing for himself. Like he wasn't in the video games I was playing growing exactly. up. He wasn't
2: player 24, yeah,
0: right. The generic, the generic, like 23 <laughs> was, was the exactly player 24. Like you said. Um, so there's all these kind of, uh, uh, detachments from, from Michael Jordan that, that I think affected the way I appreciated him, you know, as a bulls fan, even though he, I guess would, would be considered, uh, or I would consider him like one of my own guys, but, uh, anyway, it, it it definitely has served as far as the documentary goes, served to, you know, I think not only inform me but make me a bigger Michael Jordan fan, even in the first two episodes. I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing the the MJ doctrine almost in the in the remaining eight episodes. And I know a lot of it will probably make him look like a jerk or or um, you know, a totalitarian or whatever you want to call him, but I think there's something to be said about that being your guy, right? Like, like your fans had Kobe and and yeah, he could have been, could be a jerk sometimes, but that's because he really wanted to win. So I'm excited to almost get to know Michael Jordan better through the consumption of this documentary.
2: Yeah, no question. I mean, the fact that they actually got Jordan to begin with is notable because, you know, you don't really hear him speak about himself. You hear, you know some old stories here and there he might have had a quote or two or you know you've got the hall of fame speech that everybody references and stuff like that but like post-retirement you don't really hear much from Michael Jordan uh, about those Bulls teams and so it, it's kind of interesting to get his thought process about what was happening um, you know the fact that they were really struggling to start that you know 97 98 season then you get the the articles that come out where he almost signed with the Knicks and all this kind of stuff so there's always these these stories that you don't really know about if you aren't living in Chicago or if you're just kind of following from afar that he's going to be able to kind of take us through and so I'm really looking forward to that part as a basketball fan.
0: Did you read about the story uh how that dot kind of came to be and how he agreed to be involved?
2: Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact there were a couple that, uh, different
0: versions of it. Like I think Yahoo did one, ESPN, Ramona Shelburne did one. Um, yeah, those accounts were awesome.
2: Yeah, and it's funny and the whole MJ Lebron thing, which I I hate that debate. I hate it with a passion because there's just there's no winner. You, you again, you have your guy. If you're a Lebron guy, you're gonna think it's Lebron. If you're an MJ guy, you're gonna think it's MJ. You'll will never be able to find out. But I did think that the timing of it was really interesting that they for years people have been trying to release this documentary and it just so happened on the day of the Cavs championship parade, Jordan's like, you know what? All right, let's do it. Right. I couldn't tell like how related those two. Yeah. It could be purely exactly. coincidental. Like,
0: but... Because they,
2: they click it well,
0: right? Like leading into the story, they said, obviously this was, you know, during the Cavs 2016 championship parade This is when LeBron decided, but it turned out, that happened to be when the producer was flying to Charlotte to, to take the, to set up this meeting with Michael Jordan. They basically had one more chance to get him to agree because without his permission, none of this footage was ever, you know, allowed to be released. So, exactly. um, but yeah, you know, it could have just been that <laughs> Michael saw LeBron getting the shine and was like, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe it is time to everybody who I am. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, it, was, it was fascinating. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm excited for the, the other 80% to, to come out. Um, we can talk a little bit more about it, too, as as the series goes along. But I want to wrap up, H, by doing our, our kind of fun topic that we're trying to adopt now with everything um, grinding to a halt. And last time, I believe, we did best Big Ten football and basketball teams since 2000 to never win the national championship. So... It's all that was all hypothetical obviously and this one will be all opinions and it's on topic that we know can uh draw a lot of debate and always gets fans going. Like I swear when we post something on social media or when I'm you know traveling to a big ten city and ask where the best places to eat on those campuses are, it always generates a ton of responses. So oh for sure. So uh that's that, that's that's what we'll go with today. We'll uh rank some of our favorite food spots on each big ten campus.
2: This will be a lot of fun. A lot of fun.
0: Agreed, agreed. And, and you know, I think we shouldn't sell, sell ourselves short. We are two of a I'd say relatively small group of people that have been multiple times to every campus. I mean that's
2: you know, Yeah. Not everybody can say that. It's been right. you know spent multiple nights in all fourteen places. It's hard all to right.
0: do you've been there a few more times than than me, but uh, you know I think I've gone I've taken three laps around to this point, courtesy of the bus tour and then popped in and out of the campuses at other times, depending on work or, you know, sometimes in college, I would spend a weekend uh, at a Big Ten school with friends. So I think we both can lay claim to uh, some proper credentials to do this.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this, this was going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to this.
0: All right, let's start off the top. I'm going alphabetical here and we'll start with Illinois, my alma mater. So I better not screw this up. Um, <laughs> and just, just for the, and I don't, I don't want this to be like the show campus eats, you know, I don't want to just use all the restaurants that the BTN show campus seats did, but I can't help it with the first one. I got to go with black dog. Oh, barbecue, absolutely. Yeah. The barbecue oh, spot. I mean, we, we get it on the bus tour, I think every year. Um, it's really delicious barbecue and it was for a while. Like I never really had it growing up or going to school there. Cause it for a while, it was just like a really small hole in the wall place in Urbana. Mm-hmm. and it uh was hard to get in and like there's always a long wait but then they opened up a champagne location and that's the one we've been going to and it's it's always delicious so you sound yeah, like you've heard that that's one. been a
2: staple um I think I've only actually been inside once and I think I was in Urbana but we always get it either going to practice or coming back from practice and it's a anytime we hear that like the bus explodes. And we're very excited about chowing that food now. Yeah, the, the best uh,
0: experience I've actually had there. I, I, you might have been at the, uh, the convention that one year. I know you take a break to go to uh, to go to the convention during the bus tour sometimes, but we actually went to the Champagne location one year, and it was uh, mm. it was a lot of fun with all the the crew. And then I want to shout out one more restaurant before we move on to Indiana. Um, it's not a campus restaurant, and a lot of people probably haven't heard of it, but it's one of my. Um, not childhood, but like uh, coming of age places that I love to go to and still went to in college and miss almost every day. It's called Dos Reales. It's right off the highway in Champaign and it's just uh, awesome, relatively cheap Mexican food that doesn't get enough love, but uh, it's kind of a, a local
2: staple. All right, I'll have to try that out next time we go. Yeah, Mays is kind of like the hot
0: pick now as far as Mexican food goes, but um, which Mays is right next to Black Dog, but Dos Reales is kind of the OG spot.
2: Gotcha. Okay. All right. man. in. All right. Let's go to Indiana.
0: Let's hear uh what you you picked for your top one or two places at IU.
2: Uh I might have to go with the farm. Um I was I actually ate there last summer. Uh shout out to Alex Klein for the I, suggestion. I was there, yep. Um, that
1: was really, really good.
2: Really, really good meal. Um, big portions. Um you know, all, you know, homegrown stuff. I was a big, big fan of farm.
0: Farm was really good. And I feel like every time I've been there and I think, I don't know if this is how it used to be, but campus is really shut down because we usually get in on like a Sunday. It's early August. It's the first stop on our bus tour. I haven't been back for like a basketball game or any other time of year since I was in college. So um, sometimes things are closed and we don't get the full experience. Like I, I still haven't been to like Kilroy's or anything like that. Um, but I will say I did enjoy trip to uh, Zagreb's or, or however you yeah, Zagreb's you, is nice. Yeah, Zagreb's is a good uh, good steakhouse spot, so definitely have to shout out them as well. But I agree, Farm was really good, and um, it's kind of like a one of those new age campus spots, maybe a spot you go with your parents.
2: And we can't forget D'Angelo's. I mean, Donardo's old place. Right, you know, right. We always get the meatballs from there whenever we leave Bloomington. We always. You know, load up the bus heading to Columbus with all of his good food, and so you know that would obviously that obviously needs a mention in this too.
0: Good call. All right, I'm gonna take it to Iowa City now, and
2: yeah, take the lead on this one.
0: Yeah. So the last few years when we've gone, it's always kind of like an in and out thing, right? Like we, it's one Head of the on. it's one of the few places we don't really stay close to anything resembling the town. Uh, we actually stay in Coralville, which is more of like the chain uh, suburban kind of district and a lot of hotels and really a nice, like, upstart area with a lot of um, development, but it doesn't really have the campus town vibe. However, there's one spot out there that I have to shout out Big Grove, um, that brewery right. that's right down the street from that Marriott Hotel that we stay in. I believe our buddy, our producer, Jordan Lapurana's friend, Runs
2: Big Grove. Oh, right. That's right. That's so they
0: send us some stuff, and it's a fun place to hang out. I think I've seen – I won't name names, but I've seen some Iowa athletic staff in there hanging out. Okay. Um, so that's been a good spot. And then
2: – I had a couple in there this last time out.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like Iowa City's known for their bars for the most part, and it's not like, you know e- – e- I wouldn't eat there. Eating there would not be the first thing I would do at a lot of these places. Um, I would want to go to have a good time instead, like, in that kind of – plaza area forgive me for not knowing what it's called but uh a lot of, yeah the, the, exactly yeah and uh, a lot of those places are iconic so as far as restaurants go i also want to shout out Pancheros because even though it's a chain you can get it in a lot of other places that's kind of what iowa i think is is known for as far as a, a chain that's unique to that that part of the country
2: um, it's my go-to stop whenever we do that pit stop in Ames. There's always a Panchero's there that, that I wind up getting. Also a Panchero's in East Lansing. So I was very familiar. Uh, once I saw that, I said, oh, this is perfect for me. I'll just stop in here. It felt like being, you know, back on campus.
0: For sure. Anywhere else in Iowa that sticks out? I know uh, you said the the pedestrian mall's got – is that what it's called? The, the Ped Mall, right? Ped Mall, yeah. Yeah, the Ped Mall. Um,
2: yeah, I, I always some good stuff in there. You know, it's usually just kind of grab-and-go type of stuff. But I do recall eating at a place called Basta one year, a nice Italian place. I think uh, I was there for that. Yeah, I want to say maybe you and Pat Kenny. might might have been a few of us. Um, yeah, a I had I had a really good food there, good pizza, Good p- good pasta. Good place.
0: All right, let's kick it over to the DMV Maryland College Park now. Um, when I was making this list, I kind of debated whether we should expand it to like DC area. So if you want to do that, feel free, but just off the top, I got to say, I really enjoy the, uh, bagel place in the lobby of that hotel, the bagels and grinds. I've had that place like four or five times now. I'm on my trips to Maryland every time it comes through. So I'll throw that out there first.
2: That works. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge bus boys and poets guy. Um, there's one right down the street in Hyatt'sville um and whenever I do get in DC I try to get to to one there as well so big fan of that place uh love the vibe love the atmosphere food's always good too
0: yeah I had best boys and poets written down um I have been to one I believe it was in Tacoma Park though but uh yeah you know DC staple cool spot and uh I'm trying to think if there's any other places I've been but I feel like we always go to dinner in DC when we get into to college park. So especially you and I, like, I know, I know we both have connections to DC, so we're kind of, you know, nothing against college park, but as soon as we, we get to the hotel, we're, we're hailing a cab.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's usually, it's usually either bus boys or it's like, Hey, I know a place. Let me go to a bar with, with a buddy and, you know, just have a couple there.
0: One place I really like, and since we were there for a whole week for the big 10 tournament, we were kind of, familiarizing ourselves with the the downtown D.C. scene and kind of a lot of these swanky spots that you expect to see politicians go in. And, you know, you'll see on, like, House of Cards or these shows that that are filmed at these high-end D.C. spots. Uh, I really liked Hamilton, the Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. That was was a a lot
1: of fun. Yeah. That was a good spot.
2: Old
0: Ebbett was another one, too, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, right around the corner. I think it's about two blocks from the White House. I'm sure, you know, a lot of – a lot of lobbyists and, and suits earning out of that pl- those places <laughs> daily. Can
2: confirm. Can't confirm. <laughs>
0: all right. <laughs> Let's kick it to the twin cities. Now, Minnesota down the list alphabetically. Um, oh, we forgot the Michigan's. Oh, that's right. No. Mich- yeah. Michigan, Michigan state first. And then Minnesota after that, see what happens when I uh, quarantine for too long. You know, my, that's all good. It's all, all right. good. Let's start uh, Michigan. These so are these are your you. spots. I, I'm going to let you own these two. And then I'll, I'll chime in.
2: Ah, uh, so I. Uh, Michigan for me, and my sister will probably laugh at me if she's actually gonna listen to this, but uh i'm I'm always a huge Mongolian barbecue fan. I know it's kind of cheesy and chain wise, but um whenever I'm in Ann Arbor, I know there's that one it's you know right in camp right in the middle of campus or right on the middle of State street, I want to say, and uh I make sure to to go there whenever we're there, and so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that place.
0: I had a bunch of spots um, written down for Michigan. I I, I think that's because I had, had people that went there and they always Zingerman's
2: obviously going to be. Yeah,
0: they always recommend. So like there's you can go with the spots that we stop at. Um, kind of as a as a team every time we like Zingerman's like you said is one. Um, I feel like Pizza House is another one that we've done both in Michigan and Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever been to to Savas. It's a really good spot. Kind of reminded me of a farm at Indiana. Just really. High, uh, high quality food. It's good stuff. It's right across the street. I think from the, uh, I could be wrong, but I think it's right across from that theater, uh, state theater or whatever it's, it's called right on the campus there. Okay. Um, and then Frida Petito is another really good one. Cuban food and blue tractor is a place I went with a few coworkers in Ann Arbor, really good barbecue. So actually had a lot of places for, for Michigan, but really good food go. town. Nah, that is
2: a good food town. I know, more often than not, it's like, again, it's another place where it's like, oh, I'm gonna just go to my buddy's house and, and hang out over there because now I got some people who either are from Detroit that'll drive up or that lit, that went to Michigan State and just recently moved to Ann Arbor. So it's just more of a hey, maybe I'll eat a home cooked meal from them.
0: Right. And I'll let you completely take the wheel here on Michigan State. That's your spot, that's your campus, and then I'll uh I'll chime in if you don't get to the one place that i had written down. Cause I last few years, I haven't really, I guess last year we got actual time on Michigan state's campus. Usually we're like in at eleven PM and then out by noon the next day. So what do you got?
2: Very rare last year. We actually got, you know, a full day, uh, capital prime. We ate great steak there. A big fan of that. You know, it was a little bit off campus. So if we're going in terms of on campus, uh, peanut barrel is a staple, great burgers there. Uh, Crunchies, you know, your perfect, you know, kind of dive campus bar, um, you know, gum underneath the table, you know, that, that kind of place, but a really good food. Uh, and if you venture in the Lansing from East Lansing, uh, cracked chicken is, is a staple um, greasy food, but really, really good. Um, big fan of all of those.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Capital Prime. That was the one I had written down. Also, Peanut Barrel. I made it to both those places during last year's trip to East Lansing and uh, really enjoyed both of them. But I still don't feel like I have a great grasp of the local scene. I guess the – the uh, what's the, the dairy store, right? Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah.
2: We really. Yeah, we had some, some really good ice cream after MSU yeah. practice. Maybe
0: not technically a restaurant, but definitely a spot. I got some cheese from there, too, and it was good. So.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what happens at ag school, you know, you got cows on campus, you get some good cheese, good dairy, get a little D'Antonio double fudge fake on the way out. It's great. We had to take this part of this segment
0: seriously because we had – I didn't even tell you yet, but we had Matt McQuaid on for the first part of this podcast. This this is probably going to be a Sparty-heavy podcast. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you double D'Antonio, double Sparty with you and him.
2: Absolutely. That's a win, big time.
0: All right. Now we'll get to Minnesota. My alphabetical order skills didn't completely fail me here back to Minnesota twin cities.
2: It's M, It's fine.
0: Exactly. Major metro area. I um, kind of lost to choose from. I like that place that we went um, right across the street from our hotel last year, but I don't know what it's called right now.
2: So there's a, I got a few options in Minneapolis. Yeah. Start us um, off here. So there's Manny's mm-hmm. which is uh, connected to the W great steakhouse there there's another steakhouse where I think we all went to called Murray's
0: I, I went to both Manny's and Murray's and they were both awesome
2: yeah big fan of both of those um and then I love seven which is like that rooftop bar like kind of sushi steak place um, great architecture uh, uh, great scenery especially if you get a uh, like you know Friday night seventy degree Minneapolis night. Get some, <clears throat> get some good architecture up there.
0: We had a whole day in Minneapolis. This last bus tour is one of those weird quirks in the schedule where we had just an off day, which almost never happens on that jam-packed bus tour. But it was fun. We got to explore kind of the area over uh, by Washington Street. I don't really know what that part of town is called. But um, there's so much, like, from Dinkytown, campus town area to you know, downtown. And then we even got to see St. Paul with uh, that soccer game. Yeah, which um, was
2: awesome. I actually was. I was
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was actually in Minneapolis like a lot last year, just with the Final Four being there as well. And and uh, I have one bone to pick, Minneapolis. And I know this is probably not unique to uh, a lot of cities in the U.S., but it was late night uh, after one of those Final Four nights, and I could not get any food delivered after like one o'clock in Ooh, the morning. That's I know, like not even Domino's. I I was. Searching really? desperately and could not find a place that was open. Maybe I just had bad luck, but um, that's the only complaint I'll have on this list.
2: Yeah, that's unfortunate, man. Uh, but that was,
0: it was downtown, though, so I understand why. Like downtown, probably shuts down restaurants, but
2: yeah. it,
0: they do have that uh, those pizza places across the street from like Target Center and all that.
2: So I, you know, it's part of my
0: fault. I didn't just get a slice.
2: Yeah, that certainly helps. I will say there's some really good food options over in St. Paul. Uh, I got a a good friend of mine who lives there, so you know, as we talk about, you mean, you you find your connections, you kind of go off with them, and so I feel like I go somewhere different for brunch every year there, and it's always a good time, um, and always good food. So Minneapolis is probably my favorite West stop for sure.
0: Yeah, there was now that I think about it, there was a brunch spot I think Keys was called at the uh, the Fauche Tower. Oh yeah, that was a good brunch spot as well.
2: That was. I think uh, the Cope was there maybe. What's that? I'm trying to think. There was a, I went from one brunch spot to another last year, met up with everybody. Oh, you were on the brunch tour. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if you were there for that. I you was not. It.
0: I went with my, I went with my family during the final four. So.
2: No, I'm in during the bus.
0: Yeah. I was not there for that one. Gotcha. All right. Let's move it along now. Um, to Nebraska. And if we don't have the same number one choice on here, I'll be surprised.
1: Blue. <laughs> You're my
0: boy sushi. blue. <laughs> You're my boy blue. Exactly. The, uh, Blue Sushi connected to that Courtyard Marriott Hotel. in The Haymarket District is always a must.
2: And it's funny because I knew about Blue because I had a buddy who lived in Omaha at the time. And Blue, I think it just opened. And I'm like, sushi in Nebraska? Really? And he's like, no, it's really, really good. You got to try it. So I'm like, okay, so I had it. And so when I saw that it was in Lincoln, and especially next to our hotel, I was like, oh, I'm going here. I don't care where anybody else is going. If you want to join me, I'll be here. So I think me and Howard went at first. Then we got Jerry to go. And then it just became this huge, like, group dinner. And so every time we go to Lincoln, we always do blue.
0: Yeah. Blue is, uh, like you said, a, a staple. And I had to throw in runs as well. Um, yeah. I feel like I, I eat Runzas more outside of Lincoln than anything. Like they get sent to the office or I'll, I'll get them on the bus or something. But, um, those are those are always a uh you know, a good if not healthy snack.
2: Yeah, we usually get some really good food in Lincoln. I think Lincoln's a very underrated uh campus and really underrated city.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of fun. Especially I think a lot of it has to do with also the um the location of our hotel. It's like one of the the best areas. Everything's walkable. Yep. A market area.
2: Had a lot of good that
0: food. uh that uh speakeasy that we went to. <laughs>
2: Big fan of that as well. All right. the door, Other room, I
0: believe. Yeah. Yeah. Other room. I think it's what it's called. Yeah. Cash only. Um, exactly. All right. Let's take it back, local, Northwestern. And it's kind of cheating because these are some restaurants that I'll still go to, you know, if I find myself out that way. Um, and I, I'm going to pick somewhere that's not your traditional, you know, Mustard's Last Stand or Sarkis Cafe. Those are both on. Um, Campus Eats, and they've been featured on our show. I'm going to go a little off the beaten path, but uh, if you're in the Chicagoland area, you've probably heard of it. Buffalo Joe's Wings. You had Buffalo
2: Joe's? I haven't. I need to to figure that out then. Okay.
0: It's it's very solid. It's like more downtown Evanston, so it's a little off campus, but good late-night spot, great wings, uh, pretty big wings, so highly recommend
2: Okay. That's good to know. I actually haven't eaten anywhere in Evanston. Um, I'm usually, again, I cheat. So I'll leave no practice and wind up going somewhere to eat downtown or somewhere in my neighborhood. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately I don't really have much to chime in on, uh, with Northwestern, but I'll keep Buffalo Joe's in mind.
0: All right. Fair enough. Uh, I know while we briefly were talking about this beforehand, we we struggled a little bit with Ohio state at first because, We stay off campus, kind of in just a commercial area with a lot of chain restaurants, so we don't always get a chance to go in. But uh, I had a couple places written down that I enjoyed. Um, I also enjoy just walking along kind of high street area, um, short north area. And theres I don't don't think these places are in those kind of popping pedestrian friendly areas, but I did enjoy the Columbus Fish Market when uh, we went. That was a good spot. And then I don't know if you've heard of it, but Condado tacos. It's not the place we went last year. Cause I know we went to a taco place together.
2: That was pretty good.
0: It was good. I couldn't remember the name of it. So I went with Condado, which I also have been to. Um, I think it might be a chain. So it kind of cheating, but it was, it was pretty
2: good as well. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was going to say the, that fish market as well. I need to uh, hit up Joshua Perry well, <laughs> the next time we have this tour and maybe he can give us some pointers on some good Columbus spots. Cause like you said, you know, we're kind of in that tangy area. We're not really by campus. And so I can name really-
0: some bars for sure <laughs> that I've, that I've had fun at there, but um, restaurants are a little tougher. Cause I usually just grab a bite, you know, at, at, uh at the chain restaurants on Olentangy road.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's this, there's one Mexican place that's literally right by the hotel that we walk to and, and just kind of grab some stuff there. Pretty good margaritas at least, but um, wouldn't say the food is great, but it's solid.
0: Speaking of Mexican food, the next school is Penn State. And uh, I don't know if you want to tell – it's probably been a tradition with you guys longer than it has been uh, for me, but if you want to talk about the, the Penn State Mexican restaurant tradition that we kind of have going at Penn State.
2: Well, I was going to talk about the, the tradition of Chris Peterson and her group who do the best job of any school in terms of taking care of us. Um, they're big, big fans of, hey, you guys are in town. We'll take you to minor league baseball game. We'll take you to, I think it was one year we were staying um, at a golf course, and they kind of rented out the room, and we were able to, to get whatever we wanted. And so you know i don't necessarily have one specific place i know where i think i know where you're going here but i don't have one specific place i'm just going to say wherever chris peterson decides to take us
0: yeah chris the sid uh, for penn state football they do show us an awesome time every year there direction i was going is the mexican restaurant that's right next to the courtyard marriott a little off uh, campus there but it's funny i can't remember the name i think it's called like plaza or something like that but it's well-known among the campus community, even though it's not on campus. I think it's kind of the Dos Reales, what Dos Reales is to Illinois. I think this is the Penn State version, because when I brought it up to some of the trainers or staff members or students, um, they immediately kind of lit up and knew what we were talking about. It's the Mexican restaurant right next to our hotel that we always, I think, go to at least once every year. I know Jared Nardo, Howard Griffith, and Dave Revson have a soft spot for it as
2: well. Yeah, I think sometimes they might go – because usually we both get nights. two nights in Penn yeah. State, and usually usually they'll go both nights.
0: Right. Uh, I'll, I'll also shout out another tradition, the creamery that's well-known at Penn oh, State. Yeah, sure. uh, not really a restaurant, but a great spot to get ice cream before practice. Uh, you know, downtown, there's some good spots like Champs, which is also more of a bar. But uh, I also want to extend my condolences to the Taco Bell that is along, I think, College Avenue there is what it's called. Uh, had it late night, and I heard it closed in the last few months, oh, man, so, that's so
1: good.
0: you
2: never want to lose a Taco Bell on a college campus? no not at all i've had I mean Taco Bell has saved my life many a time in college, so you always kind of cringe when you hear one going away.
0: Exactly. It's a shame um, all right let's take it back more towards uh, the midwest now. We've got three schools left, and we 'll start with Purdue. What do you got?
2: ooh purdue's tough um, i'm trying to remember here was one. Fish place we went to, and we actually stayed in West lafayette um the last couple of years we've kind of stayed at a uh Hilton Garden Inn kind of right tree off. out on the highway noble yeah, yeah. tree was it a, was a a Texas row house that's over there yeah that's very a lot of
0: chain stuff there's road. Bob Evans across the
1: street yeah so
2: <laughs> since I can't remember the name of the the fish place that I went to when I was actually on West Lafayette, when I actually stayed in West Lafayette, I'll go with that Texas Roadhouse.
0: <laughs> All right. I'll show, I'll show uh, Purdue some yeah, local. got to help me they out I got here. a couple places that so, Texas Roadhouse was pretty fire. Um, I'm going Bruno's to the pizza. Um, okay. They usually hook us up on the bus. And then I've also, I think I've been to the actual brick and mortar spot. One of those times. Um, I kind of get to squeeze in an extra Purdue stop once in a while. If we're driving to Indy for, like Big Ten Football Championship. Uh, I know I've stopped there a couple times. Uh, the Bruno Doe is really good. And then Triple X is like kind of the classic diner that's right on campus, and it's been like the late-night spot for 60 years or probably more. I'm probably underestimating that. But um, just kind of your your classic diner that, that is really old-timey, and you can get some wacky stuff there like the peanut butter burger. Um, can't remember. Uh, the Dwayne Purvis is what it's called. Um, gotcha. And it's actually better than, than you'd think if you've never had a burger with peanut butter on it before.
2: Okay, interesting. It's and, oh, Katana. Katana is the name of the place. So, sorry, West Lafayette. My bad.
0: <laughs> all right, they're well represented. We got a few in there. Um, all right, Rutgers. Rutgers. I'll say this with the the um, the note that we stay in New Brunswick and we drive like across the highway over to Piscataway. So like we're not really on campus that much, but we eat good when we're there. I don't know if you have the same same one as me, but um, I have one restaurant in mind that that I'll uh, I'll list if I don't know if you're on the same wavelength here.
2: Um, I have two, but one with a caveat. Okay. Um, I'll let you go.
0: Okay. Uh, mine was Chaffee's. So that was my caveat. There we go. Yeah, Chaffee. I can't remember the guy's first name. He's he played a little before my time. Before I got to the, Anthony Chaffee. Anthony. Yeah. So his family owns this restaurant, and the uh the family. Always brings us a huge spread for the bus after practice. Uh, Hasim sets it up. Shout out the SID over at Rutgers. Um, kind of coordinates that, that whole feast, and it's delicious. It's like your classic Italian food, and, you know, it's got that football team connection as well, so that's nice.
2: Yeah, it was, it was interesting because once, once Anthony Chaffee was still on the team, you know, we would always see his relatives come by and, you know, they're holding court with all of us and, you know, saying how things are going, blah, blah, blah. And then when he graduated, I wondered, you know, would Chaffee's and our food go with him? Uh, But they've still, like you said, they've still been awesome. And, you know, every year that we're there, they always bring a spread and they always make sure to come by and say hi and update us on what Anthony's up to. And so, I've never actually been to their restaurant, but I've had their food, you know, probably close to 10 times and it's been great every time.
0: All right. Do you have another restaurant? I know you mentioned there might be one more for Rutgers.
2: I did. Uh, Steakhouse 85 is a really good one for me. Um, Again, it's in New Brunswick. It's, you know, probably two, three blocks from the hotel. Really, really good steak. Uh, not not necessarily uh you can go in t shirts and shorts kind of place, but it's uh really, really good steakhouse. Apparently it's the official steakhouse of Rutgers athletics, which I just found out. So really? there's that as well.
0: All right. Solid choice then. If they're the official steakhouse, the Choffee's gotta be the official like Italian spot. Um, gotta be, right? All right. Last but not least, Wisconsin. Um, you know, I'm on record many times saying I think Madison is Best all-around college town country when the weather holds up. Uh, I think we had a perfect day there. Perfect couple of days, actually, when we went this past summer. And it was the first time we got to spend the night there, um, at least since I have worked for BTM. But we got like a, we got in early on a Friday. It was like a 70-degree summer day. Uh, everyone was out in the lake. It was awesome. It has nothing to do with restaurants, but I just want to shout out Madison real quick. And my place is going to be – Uh, The Tornado Room. Were you at the Tornado Room, the steakhouse, with us last time?
2: I was was not. Okay. I've heard good things, though. It was
0: good. Very solid. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about it because there's a a steakhouse downtown. You know, pretty classic, but I like the the vibe, the ambiance there. That's my first one. I'll let you go, but I have one kind of wild card to throw in after that.
2: Okay. uh, For me, I'm going to go with Red, which is a uh, sushi place. Um, I actually went for the first time last year. Uh, kind of sat out, you know, sat outside and, and took it all in. And whew. I, I'm a big sushi fan and that blew that blew me away. I Ooh. mean, that that was really, really good sushi. What's the horror of blue and red sushi? Yes, exactly. Wow. Interesting. How about it? All right. Um,
0: anywhere else in Madison that
2: uh Brian Mason, shout out to him, uh Wisconsin football sid. He told us about Heritage Tavern. Um, that was a really really good spot. Um, I actually got to spend some time with uh, you know the three amigos the on-air guys and Jim Delaney. Oh, uh, we, we saw you. All... We yeah, were driving we around.
0: <laughs> that yeah. was that Friday night. We were driving around.
2: And I think um, Ben Bruss joined us as well.
0: So we were yeah we were in Ben Bruss car and he see we see you guys enjoying said meal at Heritage Tavern, and I think we honked or something and waved. And Dave Revson gave us just a look like, who are these guys? Like, didn't recognize us. <laughs> and I think Ben went back to join them, uh, join you guys eventually. And I, myself and our uh, the TV producer, John Bolfin, didn't feel like we were quite up to um, uh, you guys, your guys' uh, level uh, joining that table with the commissioner uh, and our TV uh, guys and yourself. So we just kind of uh, hung back. But that, that was funny. I do remember that.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, that was a packed place. Um, uh, great recommendation from uh, Brian. And so – That was a lot of fun. That definitely goes down on the, uh, the pantheon of, of team dinners for sure.
0: All right. Last one to close it all out. I have to go with toppers, the pizza place. Uh, It's a chain. I don't know if it's exclusive to Madison, but it came back kind of into my, into my thoughts because Jonathan Taylor just announced that he's partnering with toppers as part of a sponsorship deal. Uh, I think, Uh, I could be mistaken, but I think there's some sort of tie-in with uh, supporting local businesses during the pandemic. But um, he is a spokesperson for toppers, and there's a toppers down the street from Camp Randall Stadium that I've had before after a Wisconsin football practice, just picked up some pizza, and they have these things called topper sticks, which are essentially like pizza sticks. Um, You've seen the cheesy bread at Domino's like that, except more of a, uh, a, a pizza stick and not just bread. Um, very good. They used to have toppers in Chicago and they all closed. Um, so RIP, but uh, I do miss toppers in Chicago and and I enjoyed it. The one time I had it in Madison. So, um, shout out toppers.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I saw that Jonathan Taylor story. It's awesome that, you know, he's just always going to be connected to that Madison community. Um, I'll have to try toppers. I never actually had the pizza, so but I'll have to try it.
0: I recommend, you know, getting it late night. It's kind of a late night. All right.
2: One of those heavy go to sleep deals. Exactly. All
0: right. All right. So we've gone on quite a while. I think it was well worth it. Made me pretty hungry. Um. You know. Hopefully, we can start opening these places back up to the diners soon enough. I'm missing already, like the restaurant scene here in Chicago. I know it's, right. you know, it's small potatoes, but um, the the social
2: vacuum that's happening right now is this is not too warm yet. I'd feel a lot worse if it if we were getting 70 degree days and couldn't. Yeah. See.
0: Yeah, that's true. So, you know, hopefully we get out of this soon and hopefully this kind of provided some, some fodder for people to listen to and, and disagree with us, whatever. Uh, but I appreciate you jumping on H and talking everything from basketball transfers to, uh, topper sticks, man.
2: Yeah. Always fun. Always glad to be on. Appreciate you having me on, uh, And again, if people out there disagree with our picks, please feel free to send us some suggestions so we can try those out and we can actually talk about them the next time that uh, we do this.
0: Absolutely. All right. We'll talk to everyone soon. Take care, H. All right, man. You too. All right. Thanks once again to Harold and Matt for joining me. A couple of Spartans. Hold it down in case you didn't pick up on it or haven't heard Harold's segments before. It's also a, Proud graduate of Michigan State and knows about Michigan State athletics uh, more than anyone else I've I've really talked to. So, shout out to him. Shout out to Matt once again. Um, Appreciate everyone for listening and always appreciate my producer. In this case, it's Julie Bronder for stitching the show together from home as we all sit and continue to wait it out at home and, you know, wait for sports to return, wait for our lives to return as normal. And hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. But we'll continue to try and churn out some content as we go along keep you entertained and until next time we will talk to you soon here on the take 10 podcast